I'm going to invite you into another passage that speaks of the Lord's goodness. This is Revelation 21. We are going to be concluding our series on what it means to be the church. And uh, don't worry, we'll always be talking in some fashion about what it means to be the church. But this is a look at the church and her destiny. Folks, this is really the end uh, to which we are all looking, and I think for which we all long. This is this chapter, Revelation 21, as you turn there, is all about God's purposes for the church being fulfilled. And as you're turning, before I read, if you think back to a few of the few of the sermons we've done, a few of the series we've done, um, we talked about Matthew 16. If you remember, that's when we started, where Jesus promises to build his church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And here in Revelation 21, we find that the, the gates of hell certainly have not prevailed against the church, and here she is in glory. We talked about uh, 1 Corinthians 12, where the church's many members, which all come together to be one body, and here in Revelation 21, the church is the bride, one body come together at long last. We talked last week about the church's global mission, kind of the purpose of our evangelism and getting the word out about Jesus and inviting the nations back to him. And here in Revelation 21, uh, the nations are gathered and the church uh, has fulfilled her destiny. It's just it's beautiful. So let me read to you if you're there. Revelation 21, I'm going to read probably the first 14 verses or so. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also he said this, write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his heritage. I will be his God, and he'll be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like the most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates... Twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. On the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names 
of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that you would open our hearts to hear and receive your word this morning, this beautiful vision of what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What a brilliant passage, hey? Wow. Folks, we see here, this is, this is God fulfilling all his purposes for the church. But even more than that, it's actually the fulfillment of all of God's purposes for all of creation. So I want us this morning just to catch a glimpse together of what John saw and what John heard. Um, think for a moment about John. Apostle John, he's the one getting this vision. He's in exile on the island of Patmos. He's a pastor to churches. Uh, he's one of the 12 apostles. They tried to kill him. It didn't work. So they said, we just got to exile the guy. So they sent him off to Patmos, and he's praying on the Lord's Day, on Sunday. He's praying for the believers who are, if not already, going to be in, in terrible, horrific persecution from Rome. I think sometimes we go, oh my goodness, it's so terrible right now in the world. Um, oh, it's the worst it's ever been. I mean, it's bad, folks, but it's, it's always kind of been bad, to be quite honest. These churches knew what suffering was really like. And he has this vision of the risen Lord, and Jesus shows him this incredible apocalypse, which is the revelation of Jesus, the revelation of who he is, and of his vision for the church, and indeed of God's sovereignty, revelations about God's sovereignty over all of life and over all of history. And what we get here at the end is this, this brilliant vision, folks, I hope you catch it this morning, of all things being made new for Jesus. All things made new for Jesus. So this morning, I want us to, first, let's, let's see what John saw. If you look at verse 1, he says, I saw, right? And then in verse 3, he says, I heard. So we want to see what John saw, we want to hear what John heard, and then I want us to meditate on what, what all of that means for us. What did John see, what did John hear, and what's it all about? You'll need your Bibles open for this. What did John see? Look at verse 1. God makes a new heavens and a new earth. Get this incredible sight. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And what's that remind you of? I think, you know, Genesis starts, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And our passage begins really similarly, doesn't it? A new heaven and a new earth. God is all about the transformation and the restoration of the cosmos. It's not disposable to him. He cares deeply about it. Revelation 21, folks, is not about the destruction of the world. It's actually about the reconciliation of creation back to God. It's been made new for God. So John sees a new heaven and a new earth. And, and he says there's, the sea is no more. Now, don't worry. I think we'll have oceans. It's all right if you like oceans. But the sea, the sea throughout the Bible is often an image of chaos. This is why in Genesis 1 you have the spirits hovering over the waters, because the waters represent primordial chaos and evil. Um, so the spirits are sort of brooding over it, keeping it at bay, only this far, no further. Uh, and then throughout, this is why the Red Sea is such a big deal. Because water is evil and chaos. And God strikes a path through it with his breath, with his wind, with his spirit. Right? See how that works? So here there's no more sea. 
doesn't mean water is evil, but that sense of chaotic evil has been done away with. All things made new for Jesus. So this is a new place, folks, isn't it? John sees a new creation, new heavens, and new earth. This is the first thing he sees. That's not the only thing he sees. Not only does God remake heaven and earth, that this is the culmination and the redemption of creation itself, but verse 2, John sees a holy city. It's a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. And what, what, what is she? She's prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Folks, this is our destiny as the church. It's the church made new and glorified. Glorified. So John sees not only a new heaven and an earth, new earth, but a new people. It's like John is, is watching a, a wedding procession. We had a wedding very recently. And as a minister, it's a lot of fun to be up at the front and kind of in the middle. You really get the best seat, as it were. And you see the doors open, right? And here they come. And then sometimes before the bride comes, you get the doors close again. It's very, it can be a little nerve-wracking for the groom. The, the, the doors close a little bit, and there's a bit, of, there's a bit of pressure. Will she be there when the doors open? Or not? Or someone else? What's going to happen? And the doors open, it's usually good. And typically, you've got good coordination, so you make sure that, you know, the dad knows what's going on, and everyone's okay. And the doors open, here she comes, and she's, she's beautiful. In fact, in some, sometimes you can't... The, the person that was there at the, the rehearsal, you know, the, the poor bride, she's often quite frazzled at this point in the rehearsal, you know, and uh, she's trying, trying to keep everything together. But here she comes from the back, and uh, this transformation has taken place. Right? She's a new person, here she comes. And I hope, and sometimes the groom is just in tears at this point. It's just, just all beautiful. Off you go. Off you go. That's like what John gets here, folks. He, it's like he sees the back doors open, and here comes the bride. She's beautifully dressed. She's prepared for the groom. It's the church. It's us. Here she comes. And notice how, how the church, how, this, how, how we're described, that we're actually called the New Jerusalem. This is God's holy city. The city is the gathered nations. It's, it's the people, right? Come together under God. So this, is, this is Jews and Gentiles and men and women and slave and free and everyone in between, young and old, from every tongue and tribe and nation. We like to talk about the church's continents wide and centuries deep. Well, here she comes. Continents wide of believers, centuries upon centuries of Christians. We're talking millions upon millions of believers come together. We're talking about the great, the great cloud of witnesses. Well, here we are at long last, all together. And here we come. Here we come. And the city's coming down from heaven. I think some of us maybe get confused about this. Coming down from heaven and from God. Folks, God's plan is not to have just Christians sitting around in heaven forever. It's just not. Sorry. I just read to you what happens at the end. Folks, heaven is not your final resting place. Heaven is more like the back room where the bride's getting ready before she comes. Right? So there she is getting ready, and then what does God actually want at the end of it all? He wants the bride to come from heaven to a new creation, and he himself is also going to join her. And that's what you get here in Revelation 21. The church is, is in God's space, and then she returns to his new earth. 
So what does John see? He sees new creation, right? New heaven, new earth. It's a new place. He sees the church made new, redeemed, and blessed, and adorned, gathers the bride. Here she comes from the back, as it were. And then what's John here? Look at verse 3. This is the most amazing announcement. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with humanity. Wow. Not only is the bride coming, but God is joining her. God's going to make his dwelling with us, holy and fully, once and for all. So not only does John see two incredible things, new creation, new, a new bride coming, but now he hears that God's going to actually make his dwelling with us. That, that, that relationship that was marred for so long is going to be perfectly restored, folks. The power of sin and evil that separates us from God, that's going to be completely obliterated. There's going to be perfect fellowship and perfect friendship with one another and with God and with his creation. So not only do we get new creation and we get the bride coming, looking fantastically better than we look right now. But we actually get a new sense of God's intimacy with us. He's going to come and make his dwelling with us. And folks, our destiny, and I hope you've caught this over the last few weeks, that the church's destiny is to live in communion and intimacy and relationship with God forever. That's his great hope for us. And we long for that. We long for that kind of life, I think, folks, don't we? And it's only going to happen when God reigns in full at the end here. And he kind of settles all the evil in the world. The sees no more, right? He settles things. It only happens when we belong to him fully. This is the, this is the hope, folks, of Ezekiel and Isaiah. That's the culmination of John's gospel, right? What does John start with? Jesus became flesh and dwelled among us. And we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. It's the precursor to what you get in Revelation 21. Now God comes again fully to dwell with us once and for all. It's just brilliant. So that's what John sees and what John hears. Just this, it's almost incomprehensible. But what's it all mean? I think there's some specific things that Revelation means for us today. And the first thing that it means, God dwelling with us, is a new sense of healing. Take a look at verse 4 with me. What happens when the dwelling place of God is with man? It says he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Folks, everyone that comes into the new Jerusalem to dwell with God will all have experienced some measure of mourning or death or pain. And we all have it even now. But that word every means that God is gonna God is gonna personally wipe every tear from every eye of every believer. And to wipe means he has to touch. It means that God is going to have touched every hurt and every sorrow. He's going to have touched every betrayal and loss, every heartbreak, every injustice, every death in every person 
will be touched by the hand of God. Think about all the, the tears in your own life, or the tears in the lives of the people you know. God dwelling with us means he's going to wipe that away completely, so much so that they're called former things. All the things associated with with the corruption of creation and the marring in our relationships and all the times that we don't get this right and it ends in tears, God's going to completely, deeply, finally, fully heal that in each and every one of us. That's his nature. And that means, folks, that for us here and now, as we, as we want to follow Jesus, as we live as we live serving him, it means if, if this is God's heart is to heal the hurts and the injustice of the world, then we need to be people that will live and act for peace and reconciliation today. Yeah. Right? God calls us to be people who want to work for the wholeness and the redemption of our world here and now. We're going to catch only glimpses of it until he comes in glory and kind of makes it all well. But he calls us be part of extending his healing and his intimacy into the world right now. It's the call for us. That's the first thing I think that matters, is when God dwells with us, he heals us. He deeply, deeply heals us. The second thing that God dwelling with us means is that not only is he going to heal us, but he's going to gather us and marry us in Christ. This is just mind-blowing, really. And you see, John sees this new city. This is verses sort of 9 to 14 that we read. God's showing John the church is in New Jerusalem. It's the bride of the Lamb. And it's this incredibly massive group of people, hey? Holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. They're going to be united with Jesus as a husband to a wife. But this is, this is a really, really big gathering of people. Now, we didn't read this, but if you just kind of skim further on, verse 15 and down, to about verse 21 or so, the angel takes out this measuring rod and starts measuring the city. He's got this gold thing, and off he goes, and he starts measuring. And the, the, the city is 1,400 miles wide and long. It's a cube, but it's 1,400 miles. That's like longer than the distance from here to Vancouver. It's really big. It's really big. It's a big cube. Now, obviously, the church and people aren't a cube, right? So what are we being told here? Well, the first thing is pretty obvious. God is saying this is a huge city. This is a huge amount of people. But the key is this. That size is bigger than the known world would have been to John at the time. So to John, that is the size of the whole world. Right? It's beyond his imagining that things could be even larger. What is God telling us? He's saying the whole world, in the new heaven and the new earth, the whole world is going to be the church at peace with God. And it's a perfect cube. Now, where have you seen a cube before? Think for a minute. Where have you seen a cube? Think Old Testament. Holy of Holies. Holy of Holies is a cube. So once a year, the priest would go into the Holy of Holies. High priest would go in, and, and he had to get himself all ready just so. He'd go in, he's in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. That's where God dwelt. And you have to be careful when you go in there. 
Because you're sinful. What's God telling us when he says, no, no, the whole, this whole city is actually a cube. What's he saying? The whole world's going to become the holy of holies. The whole world's going to be the place where God dwells. The whole cosmos itself is going to be the holy of holies. And you get to go in. You get to go in. Now notice something else about the city. There's lots of 12 going on. Do you see that? Look at verse 12 to verse 14. 12 gates, 12 angels, 12, right? Like five times or something, right? But it points to the apostles over and over. John's telling us that this new city has as its, its very base and foundation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a world founded on Jesus. And, and that means it's only through Jesus that people can come into this city, come into this new world. It's only through Jesus that, that we become transformed and, and made whole in him so that we can then enjoy a life eternal in what is the holy of holies of God's new creation. It's founded on Jesus himself. And constantly in this passage, Jesus is described as the lamb, isn't he? You see that? The lamb, the lamb, the lamb. Because the lamb is the reminder that Jesus has brought this community together only through his sacrifice on the cross. The lamb always points back to the cross. We can become redeemed and restored in a new creation, relating to God and relating to one another in, in wholeness and healing and life and all that we've longed for because Christ has died for us. And his blood makes it possible. The gospel is at the very foundation of the city. What's John see? A new heaven and a new world. He sees a new bride coming. He hears the call. God's going to make his dwelling with us. What's it all mean? That God's going to heal us. It means that God's going to marry us, bring us into his holy of holies. And the last thing, folks, is that God will share his glory with us. A striking feature of this city is, is the glory of God. If you look, if you skim even further down, verses 1921, you get this list of jewels, all these jewels. This radiant with light. You know anything about jewels so often they're only beautiful because of the light that shines through them? Right? Diamonds especially. They're only really pretty because of the light. And these jewels correspond roughly to Aaron's breastplate. Which is again reminds you of holy holies, right? So now the whole world, this is what John sees, the whole world's been filled with God's glory, as was promised in the Old Testament. And that's why when you get to chapter 22, you don't need a temple. Because the whole creation became the temple. Right? You don't need a temple, and you don't need a sun, because the glory of God is the light of the new city and the new creation. Isn't that fantastic? It's just splendor and radiance through and through. And folks, this should, this should strengthen and encourage us, I think. Because the vision here is that one day we'll reflect his glory in ways that are just breathtaking and unimaginable and beautiful and good. But that means in the meantime, in the same way we need to extend the healing and the intimacy and the grace of God that will be seen fully here. We need to be living our lives as they reflect the glory of God here and now. So our lives will reflect God's, God's glory fully and purely and wonderfully then 
in the future, but we need to reflect his glory today. And the world needs to see that glory. There's something attractive about God's glory. So folks, hear, hear this passage as a call and an encouragement in your walk to make every day, your work life, your school life, your family life, make it all reflect the glory of God. Because that's what we're bound for. Let me wrap this up for us this morning. I think John, folks, like many of us, he faced real hardships in his life. He's not sort of immune to what goes on in the world. He's had some serious persecution. But what we get here in Revelation 21 is Jesus telling John that even our worst fears are only temporary. Our hope is secure in Christ. Our souls find rest in God alone, our rock and our salvation. The church is going to be the bride, and God's going to make his dwelling with us. New creation, new people, wiping every tear from our eyes, intimacy of God's presence. It's the destiny of the church, folks. This is what we're bound for. So for us today, with that, that vision, I think, I think uh, it's helpful for us to get the right vision in our heads because it shapes our imaginations. In so much of our lives, right, we're advertised to constantly, right? You go on YouTube, you have to watch an advertisement first. Skip, 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 skip. Okay, good, five seconds over, I will skip. You know, you're driving down the highway, there's ads all over the place, right? Our, our lives are bombarded by advertisements, which are not neutral, which then shape the way we think. We actually do. We need to have a good vision to shape our imaginations for how we're going to live today. That's what, that's what Revelation does for us. So folks, as we await our destiny, here's some questions for you. Jesus asks you to live into this vision today. He wants you to live towards this redemption. So God's making a new people. He's making a new bride, right? Out of us, redeeming us, sanctifying us. Do we treat one another today with the love and understanding of God? You know that old song, they'll know we're Christians by our love? Is it true? God wants to dwell with us. Folks, do we seek to bring the life and the presence of Jesus into our workplaces and our schools and our families? God wants to heal his people. Will we seek the healing and the reconciliation of the injustice and the suffering of our world. God wants to redeem and restore his creation. Do we treat creation as disposable or with contempt or recognize it's God's good gift and he wants to remake it? How does that shape our lives and our decisions? God wants us to reflect and share his glory. Perhaps this is the biggest one for us. Will we reflect God's glory in our lives, our everyday lives, here at Dryden, or wherever you're from. May we, as the church, hear this call and see this vision that we would passionately follow and pursue Jesus our Lord and make him the center of all we say and do as we seek to live for him. Amen. Amen. We pray for us as we head to the table.